pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. show of the podcast network really but anyway i'm one of your hosts the irredeemable shag along with me as always is my co-host star of the silver screen mr rob kelly how you doing buddy <laughs> uh you saw that test footage of me underwater that looked pretty I, ripped huh i did you've been working i mean i know you post like just ran six miles all the time or whatever <laughs> but wow man i mean that's really paid off i like the tats too those look good thank you you're gonna be really impressed uh, when we get together in north carolina <laughs> What we're talking about is they're, uh, I guess they, they either leaked or happily released one of the other uh, footage of Aquaman swimming underwater. Uh, it's basically just like, looks like it's a, you know, footage of an aquarium and then they CGI'd uh, Momoa in there. But he, he sort of swims across the screen and then comes to a halt in front of what appears to be like a king sitting on a throne maybe. And it looks pretty good actually. Yeah, I thought it looked very interesting. I like the, the video I saw. It has like the little silhouette of somebody in front of it with like their camera out. And that's yes. what I saw. It looks like he's in, it's a mystery science theater or something. <laughs> but uh, no, I thought it looked, you know, it looked cool. I had to say it looked really, it looked actually pretty convincing. I mean, you know, having somebody underwater for long periods of time is like the most difficult effect to, to pull off. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. I, I was very pleased with it. So, there's, so that's some Aquaman news. Got a little bit of Firestorm news real quick. Uh, some action figures are on the loose, so be on the lookout for these folks. Uh, Justice League Action have released these little, I guess you call them blind bags. These are like the sealed bag. You don't know what you're getting. It's like a little surprise. Uh, they've released these little two-inch toys in blind bags at places like Walmart and such. And in there is a little Firestorm. I've seen photos of them. Uh, our good friend Kyle Benning actually got one, and it's just absolutely adorbs. So be on the lookout for that. I haven't got myself one yet, but I'm going to get one. Then the Firestorm Legends of Tomorrow action figure is out. Now, everyone has varying opinions on Declot. 
which is what uh, DC Legends Tomorrow is. Declot, I love that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I, I think Paul Hicks uh, coined that term, Declot. But anyway, uh, people have varying opinions on that show, um, myself included. However, I will tell you that regardless of how you feel about the show, this action figure is amazing looking. It is so cool. So definitely look for that in your comic shop, specialty stores. Uh, DC Legends Tomorrow action figure. You know, the Jax version of Firestorm looks really good. And then our buddy – got to mention our buddy Zoom Yukonori. You know, we love Zoom here. And, uh, you know, he draws for the uh, for CBR. Does that pay the line that is drawn? Well, back on January 27th, they did a challenge. And the challenge was four panels, eight words. And he was supposed to tell the origin of a character. So in just four simple panels, only using eight words, tell the origin. And he did one for Firestorm. And it was – Glorious! Did you see this thing? Yes, it was terrific. Oh, I mean, it was breathtaking. And uh, I, I tweeted out to Jerry Conway, and he even—I don't remember exact words—but he even he was impressed. He thought it was really amazing too. So well done, uh, Zoom. The, and, the uh, ultimate benediction. Right. I mean, true. I mean, the guy created the character. And finally, uh, I would just like to point out that. I'm actually uh, probably at this point a ghost. I'm probably not actually here. I'm an echo of myself because I spent the weekend with Diablo Frank. And um, I, I got to suspect I didn't actually survive the experience, but my soul has just refused to let go of the earthly plane as showed up at the podcast because there's no way I could have made it through that. But no comment on Frank? No, because th- that picture you posted of, of you and the guy in the mask was so terrifying. I, I don't even want to think about it. You, sh- you should have been the one there taking it <laughs> in front of the one-half comic book store, one-half lingerie shop. So guess which one I wanted to go into. But anyway, <laughs> so what's up? In, what's been up with you? Uh, well, I've been holding down the fort here on the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, That's true. So, uh, you know, I'm just doing the best I can to keep the network afloat while you're off gallivanting pretty much. I did do some gallivanting. I got to hang out with our buddy Dace, uh, David Ace Gutierrez. Uh, he and I hung out for, gosh, four days, which is probably uh, five days too many. But uh, at a Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles, we were side by side the whole time. That was a blast. We drinking wine and, you know, sitting down in little tiny receptions with, like, superstars and stuff. It was awesome. We had a great time. Then, as I mentioned with Frank, and then I had a big work trip. So, yeah, I've been on the road quite a bit. But I'm home for now. Um, I, I say that, and yet I'm rushing through this podcast. I can pack and leave in the morning. <laughs> but that's just a weekend trip. Just a weekend trip. Because I need to be home because I need to be recording who's who in the Legion, damn it. So working on that, that should happen soon. But you know what? I've been talking for a while here. We should probably thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Uh, just uh, the last episode of Mike Gillis's great show, The Radio vs. the Martians. They did a whole episode. Him and Casey did a whole episode about uh, Vertigo. And it was terrific. I mean, all the episodes of Radio vs. the Martians are very interesting. But this one was really, really good. They had two very interesting guests on. And it just reminded me how much I liked Preacher. And since mm. uh, we're due, this, this episode is a review episode. I have plugged every Aquaman book available on in some trades at this point. And so I'm going to talk about Preacher. Preacher is probably my favorite Vertigo series of all time. It's even wow. after I, even, Yeah, even after I got rid of most of my comics, I kept all my Preacher Preacher. preacher Preacher, 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 preacher. preacher. (laughs) I kept all my preacher trades, hard to say. So it is such a great series. It's it's smart. It's sweet. It's profane. It's nasty. It's violent. It's 
critical of America. It loves America. It's just, it's everything. I love it. It holds up so well. So if anybody hasn't read Preacher yet, give it a shot. You can get all the various volumes on In Stuck Trades. But of course, you start with Preacher Book 1. It it reprints Preachers 1 through 12. Uh, It's by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. Wow! Twelve issues, really? Yes, it's yes, it's one through twelve. It's the uh, it's by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, who did the entire book's run, which is fantastic. Three hundred and fifty-two pages, covered by Glenn Fabry. Nineteen ninety-nine. Intuck Trades price is eleven dollars and fifty-nine cents. Forty-two percent off. Preacher. It's just the best thing ever. So if you haven't read it, start. Well, you, you got all the way through that without mentioning the TV show once. I got to ask, did you watch it? I have not seen the TV show because we do not get AMC, and uh, I just I don't know. Like I haven't I it's I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Like you really, know what I mean, you know, like like Walking Dead. When Walking, I don't watch Walking Dead, but I think I could probably tell you what's happening in Walking Dead because mm. twenty twenty seven thousand friends of mine on Facebook are talking about it. Two seconds after it airs. <laughs> I don't see anybody talking about Preacher on social media. Now, maybe I'm not looking in the right spots, but none of my friends talk about it. And that suggests to me that it's not anything that anybody gets all that excited about. So, so I can, it's, it's just not something I've really bothered with. I can put a lie to that because I've watched it and I've talked about it. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of it. Okay. I, I didn't finish reading the, tri- the Preacher comic series. Somehow, for some reason, I just got off track and never finished it. But I certainly started it and got pretty far into it. And I felt like the TV show – like I, at first I sat there and go, well, that's different and that's different. But really, you know what? Once I got past the first five episodes or so – I mean it sounds like a lot I guess. But uh, once I got into it, I realized, you know what? The spirit is absolutely here. This is this is amazing. I love the show. My wife who doesn't read comics won't touch them. She loved the show. She thought it was phenomenal. Uh, I cannot wait for the second season. So I give it a very high recommendation, Rob. Okay. All right. And uh, we we get AMC only because we buy Sling, uh, but we ended up we missed some of them, so we ended up buying them on Amazon for like I don't know a couple of bucks an episode. So it oh. might be worth get okay. might be worth getting a season pass, watching it. Okay, so. duly noted. All right, uh, my in stock trades, folks, is on a page I got to scroll to. Here we go. Uh, I am recommending since we're talking about Aquaman, written by Dan Abda, I decided to pick something by Mr. Abda, and I picked Titans Hunt. Trade paperback. Now, this is a recent miniseries that, when I heard it solicited, I absolutely scoffed and refused to buy it. Basically, it was the winding down of the New 52 Teen Titans era. Not even Teen Titans, but just the the Titans characters, you know, like your Nightwing, your your classic Titans. You know, Donna Troy, Aqualad, Roy Harper, uh, and, and Kid Flash. And they really were handled horribly those characters and the Teen Titans in the New 52. So when I heard the solicitor, I'm like, no, thank you. But really, this is almost like a prelude to DC Rebirth. And when this story happens, you basically find out that the Teen Titans, who they had ignored through all the New 52, actually existed, but everyone's memory had been erased. And it goes through that, and I, I ended up buying them out of like a 50-cent bin or something. And I was like, eh, well, whatever. And I didn't want to read them, and I sat down one day, and I'm like, well, it's Abner, I'll give it a shot. I loved it. From, from page one to the last page of uh, issue eight, I enjoyed the hell out of this thing. So if you have any love for the classic Titans characters, you should definitely pick this up. Again, it's Titans Hunt, covers Titans Hunt issues one through eight, which then led into DC Rebirth, which then led into the current Titans book, which is also written by Dan Abnett and very good. So this miniseries, as I mentioned, Abnett, artist is Paulo, uh, I can't say his name at all, guys, I'm so sorry, Sequiria, <laughs> that guy. It's really good. Page count, 256 pages, full color, normally retails for 19 
you can get an in-stock trades right now for 42% off, so only $11.15. And I really do think if you have ever had a love for the Titans, you will enjoy this. So for these and all your in-stock trades needs, please – your in-stock trades needs, really. Uh, for these and all your collected editions needs, <laughs> please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to their Contact Us button and let them know that you heard about them on the Fire & Water podcast. Woof! All right. Well, Rob, we have got uh, a lot of comics to cover here. We've got <laughs> a whole collection of Aquaman books. We've got a Firestorm, a bumper-sized Firestorm annual. However, as we get into describing these things, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can follow along? Well, you can go to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and we will have a concomitant. Oh, damn it. I was about to say that word right now, and I messed it up. <laughs> we will have a accompanying post, gallery post, which will have images from these books. So you can go to firewaterpodcast.com and read along. There won't be any little ding as we go along, but you can imagine that in your head. Well, why don't we start with some coverage with that guy who talks to fish, yes. and then, then we'll do Firestorm on the back end, and we'll do some listener feedback, too. We have a lot of Aquaman to talk about, although I am confident that there are more words in the Firestorm, one comic, than there is in all four <laughs> issues of this of Aquaman. But, but That's true. That's not, that's not a slam against Aquaman. No, 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 not at all. So, okay, we're going to do this like we did the last one, where I'm going to go through the plot synopses of all four in a row, and then we'll just comment instead of stopping after each one, because I, I wrote a little brief synopsis here. So we've got Aquaman number 14, which is the Deluge Act 3 by Dan Abnett and Philippe Briones. And in this issue, the superpowered assassination squad known as the Aquamarines are deployed and they go on the hunt for Aquaman. The Sea King is busy in Atlantis trying to round up proof to give to the U.S. government concerning who is really behind the attacks on the surface world. The Aquamarines attack, getting the drop on the Sea King, but luckily Mira arrives in the nick of time to balance the scales. Get it? Scales. After the fight, Aquaman... <laughs> I figured Andrew would like that. After the fight, Aquaman makes an announcement to his subjects, and he will try one last attempt to make peace. And if he fails, he will step down as ruler. That sound you hear is me rooting for Aquaman to step down as ruler. <laughs> Aquaman, then talk, Aquaman then talks to Mira, who explains the grim prophecy that the widowhood foretold. He saw that in previous issues. Their conversation is erupted by a news related to where Nemo is. Aquaman takes off, and the issue ends with the Sea King having broken into Nemo's warship and about to attack Black Manta. All right, so now it's Aquaman 15, Deluge Finale by Dan Abnett, of course, Philippe Rions, and Wayne Foucher. Aquaman single-handedly takes on all of Nemo, concentrating, of course, on Black Manta. It ends with Aquaman smashing Manta's helmet half off. Manta then hits a remote, which blows up the entire ship, seemingly killing everyone aboard except for Aquaman. Aquaman delivers a report in Manta's cracked helmet to President Obama, <laughs> accompanied by Superman. He, is, uh, he officially surrenders, bringing the war to a close. As the government discusses what to do next, Superman and Aquaman talk privately outside. Superman gives the Sea King a replacement JLA membership card, because, of course, he lost it in a previous issue when he shoved it in the, the shaggy man's fur. Later, President Obama announces to the nation that the war is over and that he is proposing Atlantis become a member of the United Nations. Fox News demands to see Aquaman's birth certificate. We cut Thanks, to Obama. We cut Thanks for stepping on my joke. We cut, to a oh, we cut to a beach very far away, covered in debris. Stumbling out of the water onto the sand is Blackjack. Aquaman, Woo! Yes, Aquaman 16, Peace in Our Time by Dan Abnett, Brad Walker, and Andrew Hennessy. In a college research lab on the other side of the country, well, not actually on the other side of the country, in New York State, actually, a man is bringing computer parts as well as painkiller drugs to a mysterious figure with a robotic voice. The man asks to leave but instead is somehow forced through telepathy to pull out the gun he is carrying and fire it upon himself. 
In Amnesty Bay, Aquaman is helping with the ocean cleanup effort post-Atlantean attack. Aquaman talks with Kay, the Atlantean dignitary who was shot trying to protect his king. Merc is also there and suggests rebuilding the town to Atlantean specifications, but Aquaman tells him to stick to wood, brick, and glass. Aquaman gets a sort of headache, which he says is something spiking his telepathy. He then talks with Mira, who is helping repaint one of the buildings. They discuss their future, and Aquaman wants to marry her, prophecy or not. Mira is steadfast, but they are interrupted once again by townsfolk who are excited to see their local hero. After meeting with reporters and signing autographs, Aquaman has a heart-to-heart with Erica, a local police officer whom he went to school with growing up. Erica reveals she had a bit of a crush on Arthur when they were teens, but now finds him intimidating that he's a superhero. They embrace, and Aquaman tries to ensure her he's still plain old Arthur. Back at the college, the mysterious robotic figure has forced more people into enslavement. He calls himself Warhead, and he has one mission, to take control of Aquaman. Aquaman 17, Warhead, by Dan Abnett, once again, Scott Eden, Wayne Foucher. In the college lab where last issue ended, Aquaman is being shot at by a woman who is nevertheless apologizing for what she's doing. Aquaman subdues her and then comes face-to-face with Warhead, who blasts him with a shoulder-mounted laser cannon. Just two hours earlier, Aquaman was at the UN, where outside on the streets of New York he is given a hero's reception. In the middle of his address, Aquaman gets another headache and sees a man in fatigues walk up and address him. Aquaman can understand what the man is saying. What's more troubling is, no one else seems to see this guy. Aquaman finishes his address and talks to Mira on the phone. About to get into a limo, he sees the same man. He wants to chase after the guy, but one of his handlers tries to stop him and gets a painful hand squeeze from the Sea King. Aquaman follows this man to the college lab where he can finally understand what the guy is saying. He begs no more. He is then attacked by a series of people who claim not to be in control of their actions. Aquaman stops them all, and we find ourselves back at the beginning of the issue as he faces off with Warhead. He grabs Aquaman by the head, and the Sea King finds himself in the middle of a war zone. Aquaman initially thinks this is just another mental projection, but when an explosion knocks him over, he realizes this hell is all too real. There we go. Those are our four issues of Aquaman. Woo! That was a really nice, clean, polished synopsis. I'm impressed. Thank you. I had Bailey write it for me. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So, how do you want so, to do this? Okay. Well, my favorite issue of the four uh, was number 16. That's, Me too. That's the one drawn by Brad Walker. I make no bones about that. I really love Brad Walker's work. Uh, I kind of wish the book was at a rate where Brad Walker could do it every issue. Not to be uh, insulting to Philippe Briones, whose work I think is, is perfectly fine. I think Brad Walker is, is extraordinary. And I like the fact that uh, they gave uh, Abnet gave you know Brad Walker what is a very talky issue, but Walker has a way of telling a story that makes it really interesting. And I liked all the character stuff. Uh, again, I've gone on and on and on and on for five years now talking about I don't want Aquaman so bogged down in Atlantis. I didn't really care about this war. This is so recently after Throne of Atlantis that was like we're on this again. So to me, I'm glad the war was wrapped up very quickly, that he surrendered. Just wrap it up and get back to other related stuff. So of the four issues, my favorite was definitely number 16, the the, the one back in Amnesty Bay. If I can just take off on that point you just said, um, I'm going to play the opposite card and say I'm glad we're getting two issues a month. I mean, it's it's unfortunate for the art, but – this same story about this at war with Atlantis would have taken twice as long to that get That is true. That's absolutely true. 
So I, I enjoyed this, this, this situation. I thought actually it was really interesting how they were all being played by a third party. Um, I found that very interesting the way Nemo played out as a terrorist organization, all that. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And I, I, especially when it escalated and they tried to assassinate Aquaman, I thought that was – because Aquaman was so laid back about it. He's like, yeah, they tried to take me out as a head of state. It's cool. I get it. That's what you do. <laughs> right. And, and then when he talked to the president later on, he was like, it's cool. I mean, later, I mean, he was just like, yeah, that's, that's how this works. And I'm like, wow, he's very accepting of these things because he is a, a ruler. He understands the way it works. So the, anyway, I, I've enjoyed this storyline. I, I thought it was pretty cool. I don't really care about Black Mana anymore. Um, there's only so many times I can see Black Mana and, and Aquaman have what appears to be a final showdown. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But I was fine with Nemo. I love Blackjack. I just he's great. <laughs> I think Blackjack and Bazooka Jones should go on a, like a Thelma and Louise type tour. <laughs> that in the would United be States. fun. Yeah, fire yeah. and water villain team up. That would be great. Right? Well, they both have eye patches and everything. And, <laughs> uh, Sixteen was my favorite issue as well. But I also think it has the best cover with the lighthouse in the background and Aquaman and Mara sort of back to back, showing a little bit of you know, separation between them and the folks of Amnesty Bay. Because I love Amnesty Bay so much. Mm-hmm. I know it's a retcon to have him grow up and go to high school there. But I am totally invested in that retcon now. Like, I, it's like I, I can't believe we didn't have it before. Basically, Aquaman has his own Smallville now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that. The scenes with Erica, first of all, are – you know, when I started my, my notes, I put down that Philly Briones, however you say his name. I liked him best is what I wrote down initially. Like I – not his faces, but I really like his detail work. Like the, when, when, he, when he throws down um, – uh, black man his helmet and it's all cracked in half and he throws mm-hmm. it down on that. I mean, it looks great. And there's some really cool detail work on like blackjack's costume and stuff. It's really like anything in black is really impressive. Uh, and then I get to issue 16. I'm like, ah, I take it back. Never mind. Brad Walker's my favorite. Uh, I don't like the way he draws Aquaman's costume with the, the bubbly things. I know he's intentionally trying to do something different and that's cool. It's just not my thing, but everything else is glorious. I mean, Looking in, I don't have my page numbers here, but when he, when Aquaman's talking with Erica, and he, you know she's explaining her position about you know she always saw Aquaman as the guy she grew up with rather than a, you know a world power, and she's struggling with that. And she's there's a close up of her face. She's just kind of looking out of Aquaman out of the left hand corner of her eyes. It's amazingly rendered. Wow. Yeah. You just see all freckles and the badge on her on her on her goofy toque she wears and just really really impressive and that talk was great i really because you don't see that kind of talk normally it's um, now using the small reference it's almost like uh, imagining chloe from smallville having that conversation with clark as a sure she even looks like chloe and you know it's over on your jli show you talk about kevin mcguire all the time and and mm. rich, rich you know deservedly so but I mean, like one of the things Brad Walker is good at is facial expressions. I yeah, mean, he's he's really good at that. And this is a conversation where not much, you know, really nothing's happening. It's just two people talking. But he makes it visually interesting. And I have yeah. to think that Abnet is probably writes that to because he knows that's a strength that Brad Walker has. I mean, he's pacing these issues in a way that you know he knows what issues Brad Walker is going to be drawing and which ones Briones is going to be draw- drawing. So he gives Briones the more action stuff, and he gives Walker. The, the more character stuff, and I think Walker just knocks it out of the park. I really, really like the way he draws. And I, I get what you're saying about the shirt, Aquaman. He gives him kind of like that really crusty kind of plate shirt. Mm-hmm. They look like little pebbles. Uh, I'd like to see him draw the thing. But no, yeah, I think that conversation with, with uh, Erica is great, and uh, the stuff with Mark, all the character stuff, he's really great. Mira's faces are great. It's, he's really very distinctive. That issue is a nice palate cleanser too, because I mean, it's, it's it's essentially it's it's in the middle of it's a bridge between two storylines, sure. but it makes a nice one and done. 
yep. you know, it's it, there's some funny bits in there too about the the uh, I don't remember what the the under what is it called uh, underwater uh, sealant or whatever. You get the water sealant paint that they're the the all the Atlanteans are using to paint stuff. Right. They just find that. They just uh, seal, seal it undercoat. There's a lot of jokes about you know Atlanteans having to use this because it's water protectant. It's kind of funny. Merck has a great line in there where they're talking about how Aquaman's become famous again and how he says Aquaman is no longer the guy in the back of the group photos of the Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now and and now I, I tend to tune you out. I don't really listen to you much at all. So I don't know how much detail you went into about Aquaman surrendering to Obama, but. The, the way the speech was written was really clever. Now, I realize I'm going back to issue 15. But anyway, because Aquaman, he basically says, we could continue to fight. We could absolutely continue to fight. That's not a problem. But I'm going to be the bigger man. And he goes, this war needs to end now. This is the only way things are going to come out. And I'm and, and we could fight it out to see who surrenders. But I'm just going to do it now. I'm going to prove to you that I'm, I'm the better man. And I'm going to surrender to save a bunch of lives from dying in this war. And I'm not even doing it justice. The, the way Abnett wrote it in the, in the specific dialogue is, is so wonderful that it makes sense that Aquaman becomes a hero again. And we're going to touch on that in the feedback because you kind of said you were so over these uh, these major attacks from Atlantis. And when we get to the feedback, there's some good points about that. But I think, again, that was written in such a way that it helped really get Aquaman out of that hole that uh, Abner had put him in. So I was impressed. Like I know that the DC – the people who live in the DCU are not us obviously because these are people that deal with alien invasions and ghosts and evil duplicates and all sorts of crazy stuff on a daily basis. This is this is not our world. So one of the things that I'm not a big fan of and I never have been, I don't like real presidents in superhero oh, okay. stories because to me it's just it's just jarring to see a real life president uh, in the middle of a world with you know I mean we look you know you look and see even the smallest thing causes ripples and you know you've got pre- it just to me it's like no it's just no so you know the minute I, I I'm, I'm perfectly fine if you want to be cutesy with it and like if you want to just show the back of somebody's head and you can you know if you want to render it as a particular president and you can say well clearly the big jug ears that's Obama whatever but you know it, to me having him named and standing there at the podium with Aquaman I'm just like yeah <laughs> so uh, I but that's apparently that's the way they do things in the DC although I'd like to know presidential history in the DCU because like where does Lex Luthor fit in the middle of uh, where did he... George George year 2000 was George W Okay. All right. Fair so, enough. Really uh, and, and I don't think you're going to have to worry about seeing the real life president for the next few years uh, in the DC not. comics. Probably not. Probably not. So, uh, I like that. You know, I think I, I think I like Warhead. Uh, I think it's. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. What's Destro? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But I'm glad they're introducing a different villain. You know, someone yes. new. Yes. So, because that, that's what we need. We need some new stuff. You know, we did get. Um, Oh gosh, see, I'm trying to call him the trench, but that wasn't him, what he was called. The the black water guy. Um, dark was, water. Or what, dark, dark water. water yeah. Yeah. Like we had that guy for a mm-hmm. few years. That was pretty cool. And you know, it's, I, I want some new villains. You know. So, I think the Aquamarines were are maybe supposed to be that, but they were just kind of like faceless goons a bit. I said so to me, they didn't register a whole lot uh, in their one issue. I mean, they get they get dispatched fairly quickly. But uh, but no, I agree. Yeah, I, it's you, there's just only so many times you can see him beating the living crap out of Black Mana. You're just like, all right, it's you know that's why you know with Batman, I don't really read Batman comics anymore. But like you know, like the Joker again, like enough with the Joker. You know, <laughs> he's got forty thousand other villains. Right, right. 
Well, they're fun. They're good issues. Uh, I mean, we blew through four of them here, and uh, I, I enjoyed all of them. Each one was its own unique little read, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this keeps going. Mm-hmm. And before I sign off, I must talk about the alt covers by Joshua oh, Nelson, who just yeah, continues yeah. to absolutely kill these things. Uh, the alt cover for number 14, which is just a nice poster shot of Aquaman swimming, is beautiful. And then the one for number 16, where it's him sitting on the throne. That's really nice. Too. I mean, the guy's just killing it every single month. Every single month. They are just beautifully painted images, poster quality images. You know, last time we covered these, I said that the Middleton covers were the greatest things. I would agree with the exception of Bride Walker's card at number 16. I That's actually my favorite this month out of, the, okay. out of all eight of the various you know, covers I could have chose from, from uh, regular cover and variant. Uh, number 16, Bride Walker is my favorite. But yes, he's, the Middleton. He's very good at covers, too. Brad yeah. Walker's very good at covers as well. Yep. So that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. those issues. And uh, now, folks, just so you know, uh, when we, we're about to take a break, but when we come back in the back end, we're going to do one issue of Firestorm because, as I mentioned, it's a bumper size annual. But starting next review episode, we're going to start covering, sort of like we're doing Aquaman, we're going to start covering chunks of Firestorm at a time so that we can kind of get through that. Uh, so, I mean, because it's a 100 issue series. So <laughs> we got to pick up the pace a bit. And besides, you know, sooner or later, Firestorm's going to get another ongoing that's going to derail us, I'm sure. Uh, that's my fingers crossed right there. But um, anything else before we go to break? I don't think so. All right. Rob, roll the clip. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Dorn. And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. Hawkman makes a safe landing. A perfect morning for skydiving. And for flying, suddenly, an anguished cry rings out. My chute! It's not opening! The air resounds with the frenzied beating of powerful wings. Got you? Hawkman, you saved my life! And the hostess cupcakes, and I'm ready for some right now. Me too. Chocolatey cake, fudgy icing, creamed filling. Thanks for the rescue, Hawkman! Forget it. Just enjoy your hostess cupcakes! You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Uh-huh. Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. 
right, we're back, folks, and we are here to cover The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, annual number two. Woo! Uh, folks, this is a extra-length thing. It is thing. Comic. I think they call them comics. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to jump right to the cover. That's what I'm anxious and I'm dying to talk about. We talked about covers with Aquaman. No offense, uh, guy who talks to fish, but forget all of those. This is one of my single favorite Firestorm covers of all time. I, not an exaggeration, not hyperbole. When I think of Firestorm covers, this is the issue I think of. It is covered by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. So first of all, you know it's good. Uh, it is Firestorm in the front, and he's sort of like turning his head as quick as he can, sort of like in shock. And behind him are almost all of his villains of uh, since this series began. You've got, uh, you know... You got well, right there. Of course, you got Slipknot. I mean, that, I was saying Typhoon and Killer Frost and two different enforcers and Bug and Bite and Black Bison and uh, your buddy Stratos, uh, Tokamak Talk and yeah. Silver Deer and Incognito and Mindboggler and Multiplex and Hyena Pan and um, no the Pipe Piper. Joan, though. Well, you know what? There are a few ones worth mentioning. No Bazooka Joan. That was going to be on my punchlines. Thanks for stepping on my joke. Um, <laughs> no Plastique. Which is actually pretty surprising. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, no Satin Satan or Crisscross. Now, technically, they were not in these, this series, but both were created by Jerry Conway and written, you know, specifically for a Firestorm story. That's Thought right. they could have made it on. Right. But this is, I like, now, they're, they're, the background, they're, they're not drawn to an incredible detail. They are more, you know, tiny background figures. But this cover represents the fun, excitement, creativity, uh, the energy that goes into Firestorm stories in this era. I would love this thing as a poster, you know? One of those giant posters that goes on the wall. Oh. And when I used to draw Firestorm, this was the version of Firestorm I used to draw from this cover with his head whipping around. Hmm. Uh, I used this image just to Firestorm on the Firestorm fan website many times. I love, 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 love this cover. Oof. It's a lot of fun. You know what I'm going to say it reminds me of for some reason? <laughs> the one moment in the um, opening credits of the Batman TV series where he's got his back and there's the villains behind him and he turns around and starts punching them all. That's, that's <laughs> that. I did that for some reason. I just picked Firestorm. Wah! Da! 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 That's what I picture. Firestorm just hitting all these cartoon versions of his villain. Well, he, uh, I think he'd be pretty screwed with this collection of villains all behind him there. It does sort of remind me of, what's that? He could probably take out Stratos at least. Stratos he could probably do with one punch, maybe incognito, but I it's I don't know, it reminds me a lot of like old Spider Man stuff where you'd see Spider Man there and they'd have a great, you know, just image of his rogues gallery behind him, because that's what this is, a rogues gallery shot. And uh so glorious. And let's see, who, who, where have some of these characters have gone? Let's see, so Killer Frost, star of television, um, and now a member of the Justice League. <laughs> what the hell? Um, you know, Slipknot, movie star. Multiplex, TV show star. Um, Tokamak, TV star. And I guess that's all. So, Bug and Bite, future TV star as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> Alright, when we get into this thing, this is a weird damn comic. Let's just put it right out there. This is not a comic. And it says so right on the first page. This is a illustrated novella. So, what that means is this is a prose story like you would read in a book, folks. Text and words and everything. But there is spot illustration throughout it. Uh, I, I just got to ask on the front end, what did you think of that format, Rob? I didn't know that that's what this was. Till I, I warned you last month. I warned and, you. Uh, and I was, well, I, again, I don't listen when you talk. So, it wasn't until <laughs> I opened the file that I was like, what the hell? So, yeah, I mean, points to Jerry Conway and Arthur Byron Cover, whoever the hell that is. Um, I'm assuming that's a pseudonym, right? 
for somebody? Um, well, I can tell you more about him now, or okay. I can tell you about him later. All right, because I mean, it's like AVC is his initials, so I assume that that's like a thing. Oh my gosh, I didn't uh, pick that. Yeah, but it, but I mean, you know, points to Jerry for doing something different. I don't, I don't, I mean, we can get, I don't want to skip necessarily to the end. I don't know that this story necessarily gains anything from being told in this format, but you know, what, what's wrong with trying something different, especially when it's an annual and it's going to be a one-off and, you know, and it's fun seeing him fight all his villains and it's got some stuff by, as much as I like Raphael Kainan, which I do, there's stuff here by Ernie Cologne, who I love. So yeah, well, you know, fun, it, it, something different. You know, the Ernie Cologne, like, I, I haven't been able to, because it lists both Raphael Kane and Ernie Cologne as artists. It doesn't say one's a pencil or one's an inker, but I've seen some websites that claim one's a pencil or one's an inker. But I feel like more like it's kind of like what you're suggesting is some arts by Raphael, some arts by Ernie. That's yeah. kind of what I felt when I looked through it. Yeah, there's some stuff in there that's, to me, that's definitely Ernie Cologne faces and things like that later yeah. on in now, the book. Now, it could have been just rough outline by Raphael and Ernie took it, and that's why it looks like Ernie mm-hmm, stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But either way, I you know, I did ask Jerry Conway about this when the first time I ever interviewed him. And I listened back to it, and boy, it's just funny how nervous I was. I'm like, oh, now it's like, oh, it's just Jerry. But um, anyway. <laughs> oh, listen well, to you with the name dropping. Well, we I, I've interviewed him like, what, six times now? So it's, you know. Um, <laughs> but back then I was all like, yes, Mr. Conway. And anyway. Um, <laughs> You can feel free to cut all of this, please. Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> anyway, so I was interviewing Jerry, and I asked him about this annual. Specifically, I asked him what you just said. I wondered why he did it. And he said basically he didn't remember the specifics, but he believed it's because he was looking to do something new, you know, just to try something different. And uh, Jerry was the editor, so at that point he really didn't need to ask his editor. He just had to clear it through to Giordano. He <laughs> was either that or doing hardcore pornography, so he decided right. to do this. Now, I don't know where Arthur Byron Cover got brought into it, and I, I don't know if it's a pseudonym because later on they do credit special thanks to J.R. Cover, which I assume is like a brother or something, for the hard science. And uh, just to answer your question, so so Arthur Cover, uh, other, Arthur Bra- Byron Cover, I had to look him up. Turns out that he has written a handful of stuff in the 80s. You know, he did this issue of Firestorm. He did two issues of Daredevil after Frank Miller. He did uh, a Johnny Quest special, and more interestingly, he did a DC graphic novel. Which I didn't even know DC had graphic novels till recently. I back remember in the... those. Yeah, those little. Yeah, they briefly had like a little thing there with the graphic novels. Yeah. I bought two of them this week with Diablo Frank. Actually, uh, I bought uh, Greenberg the Vampire by our buddy J.M. Dimenteos and Mark Badger, and I bought Star Raiders. Star Raiders, by... sure. Do you know what Star Raiders is? I I remember its existence. I never read it, but I, I haven't read it yet. But near as I can tell, this is Atari Force. Oh, really? It's got several of the characters. They credit Atari Force inside of it. So I'm, like, so excited to read it. So anyway, uh, he wrote a graphic novel called – and uh, Jay Jones, I hope you're paying attention at home. He wrote DC graphic novel number seven called Space Clusters. And, well, I mention this because uh, on both in Silver and Gold and another podcast I listened to, they made a specific reference to Space Clusters recently. Because in the little call-out box, it said, like, coming soon from D.C., Space Clusters. And everyone's like, what the hell is Space Clusters? I've never heard of Space Clusters. I prefer this the guy- ones with uh, with nougat. Those are my right, favorite. Right, yes. I, well, I like the ones with uh, with coconut. But um, So he wrote, he wrote Space Clusters. So anyway, let's get into this thing because it's long. All right. Uh, my synopsis is going to be uh, – Rob wrote this really nice glossy synopsis. Mine's going to be a little more loosey-goosey, folks. So uh, all right. At a 10,000-foot level <laughs> – just had to let you get that out of your system. At a 10,000-foot level, this is really the story of our hero trying to cope with losing his mind, really, or at the very least seeing things that aren't really there. That's kind of what the story is really about. 
And, uh, and, and this really is two separate stories crammed into one, which we'll talk about in the back end. But basically one is about an alien attacking uh, New York, and the other is about Ronnie Raymond having weird visions that he can't control. I kind of wish they linked the stories better together, but whatever. All right, so the the story starts off at a basketball game. It is Bradley High versus Heights High, and this is the conference semifinals. Now, folks, I realize I'm sorry, nerds. I'm talking about sports. You're just gonna have to cope with it. So uh, Ronnie's on you know in uh, on the court. He misses a very critical shot. He's trying to refocus himself during halftime because he's kind of messed up. And then uh, we're introduced, by the way, to a character named Maurice who is the team's, uh, he's a student manager, so he's a student of the school, but he's also, you know, one of the managers of the team. And uh, so Maurice and him are kind of chatting about stuff. Anyway, in the second half of the game, Ronnie's back on the court. He has another chance for a very important shot. He looks up at the hoop, and sitting on top of the basketball hoop itself is Firestorm's villain, the hyena. Uh, Ronnie is freaking out over this. Because Hyena's actually, he's blocking the basket and he's snarling at Ronnie. You know, it's pretty funny. And Hyena leaps onto Ronnie, knocking Ronnie to the ground. Ronnie bangs his head on the court really badly. And as he's passing out, he realizes that the hyena isn't really there at all. It's some kind of illusion or a figment of his imagination. And then Ronnie wakes up later on in the locker room, and his team's pretty disappointed in him. Uh, none of them saw the hyena. He's the only one. He missed that important shot. And now he's banged up his head pretty good. He's got a bad injury, and he might not be able to play in the next game. So after the game, Ronnie forms Firestorm. He gets, gets to the professor, and he's like, WTF, professor. The hyena's in my game. What is going on? They chat. And at the same time, because you know this kind of thing happens in New York, a meteor comes streaking by them. Uh, Ronnie saves the city, and uh, the meteor crashes into Central Park instead. Turns out it's not a meteor. It's actually a ship. And inside it is this evil alien who has been held prisoner in this ship for eons. The alien calls himself the Mage. And uh, he was placed inside, inside this prison by the Guardians of the Universe, the Green Lantern, little blue people. So uh, there's a big fighty, fighty fight, Firestorm versus this alien. The alien's doing all kinds of bad stuff. During the battle, Ronnie is still seeing weird visions, like he saw the hyena before. Now he sees Firehawk, and he's all like, I'm going to give me some action with Firehawk. Turns out Firehawk's not really there. It is a helicopter that is about to crash into him. So this battle ensues for a while. The mage character actually escapes, and then uh, while he after he escapes, he he enslaves all these homeless people because you know everyone needs an army of homeless people, and makes them work in a junkyard to build something for him as a workforce. Uh, let's see. Then Ronnie, um, Ronnie. In the professor split, Ronnie goes to visit his dad at, at, at the newspaper, and he decides to walk home. And on his way home, he comes across Maurice, that guy we talked about before, who's the student manager of the basketball team. And it turns out that Maurice is a huge super, superhero fan. Not just any superhero. He's a huge Firestorm fan. So Ronnie's got a fan. Ronnie has one fan, just like Rob. And uh, so throughout this, Ronnie's continuing still to have weird visions of other foes. Like he, he sees Tokamak in an alley, but it's really a cat, you know, things like that. So, and, and throughout this whole story, there's a whole lot of transforming into Firestorm, then back into Ronnie the Professor, and them having conversations. And again, keep in mind, all this is in prose. We're only getting little spot illustrations. So the story goes, rattles along. Uh, Ronnie is in at school, because remember, he's in high school, and he has all kinds of drama. He gets in trouble in class. Uh, he gets benched from the upcoming championship game because of his injury. Cliff Carmichael's being a total douche, uh, specifically to Ronnie and the, his friend Maurice. And then Ronnie goes to the library. This is one of my favorite little bits. Ronnie goes to the library to read about psychic powers, trying to figure out what might be causing these illusions. And while he's doing it, he's having a, a, a vision right there. The librarian looks just like his villain, the Enforcer. And like the enforcer is like hovering over his shoulder, reading the book over Ronnie's shoulder. It's pretty funny. Um, 
Then we head over to Concordance Research, where Professor Stein works, and technology is suddenly being stolen and disappearing. Turns out it's this alien guy, the mage. And this leads to another battle with the mage, and in the end, the end result of that is Firestorm is captured and trapped into the alien spaceship. He is now going to be the power generator for the alien. The alien's going to use Firestorm's power to power his ship. Well, uh... Firestorm does all kinds of smarty smart stuff and gives the mage's ship more power than it can handle and erects the ship. Then Ronnie, uh, using the Firestorm power, creates a duplicate of this ship and gets the mage trapped inside and sends him back to the stars. Yes, I'm sort of pushing the mage plot away. Let it go. Because we got to talk about the last eight pages of this comic, which are absolutely glorious. As ridiculous as it sounds, it works really well. It is a basketball game of Ronnie Raymond versus all of Firestorm's foes in a basketball game. It is not intentionally hysterical, but it is as you read it because you know, Firestorm's dribbling around Black, you know, Killer Frost, and you know, someone, you know, I don't know, um, Hyena blocks his jump shot. I mean, it's just funny crap like that. That's just hysterical to me. It's a lot of fun. In the end, you know, obviously it's all Ronnie having visions. Those villains aren't really there. You find out that all of these visions are actually being caused by this poor kid, Maurice, who has these psychic powers developing, but he can't control them. So Professor Stein makes with the ma- with the magical science. Uh, and I guess that's actually opposite magic and science, but whatever. Makes with the science, which stops Maurice's powers for a moment. Everything goes back to normal. Uh, the, the auditorium starts to break apart. Firestorm saves everyone. And in the end, Maurice, um, Firestorm takes Maurice away. And Maurice, Firestorm actually leaves Maurice in the care of Superman and says, you know, basically Superman will take you somewhere to Star Labs and help you learn how to use your powers, which is great. And Superman even says he was watching the game because apparently everyone watches high school uh, basketball in New York. And uh, Superman was actually watching Ronnie's game from a distance. And because of the way it ended, uh, Ronnie, the, the game was won, by the way. The, the, his high school won the championship. And the way they did it was Ronnie passed the ball to his buddy Jackson and Jackson made the winning throw. And so Ronnie, it was kind of a good example of Ronnie being an awesome team player. Instead of trying to make the shot himself, he worked with this team. So Superman's line is, you're a great team player when you keep a cool head on your shoulders, which is really funny if you think about Firestorm in this head. And that's kind of how it resolves. It's Firestorm sort of like, you know, as Maurice goes away, Firestorm has a happy little cool moment. This is the end. Woof. All right. What would you think, Rob? Well, like I said at the top, it's. I think this is a fun lark. You know, uh, it mm-hmm. works perfectly well for an annual uh, on the art front, I really liked the pages where the illustrations were more like spot illustrations in a book, where mm-hmm. they were they were sort of wrapped around the text uh, a little more imaginatively than in some other pages where it's just it's basically just a panel. Yeah. Um, specifically, page twenty one, the shot of Firestorm with all the all the stuff coming out of his his flame head, and it's all mm-hmm. the, the vision. Like that's really striking. That's really um, good. That's got That's got to be an earning page. Okay, page eighteen. Um, the, the the shot of the mage talking to all the aliens like that's really quite nice. I like the very last shot of Firestorm sitting in front of the words at the end. That's oh, really that's totally Ernie Colon. Uh, yeah, I like I like that a lot. So it it you know some of it I some of it is a little more clumsily put together than others. Um, the, you know it's we've talked about it a million times. Firestorm is the DC Spider Man. That's what Jerry intended. And this is something I could have seen Stan Lee doing. Oh, with yeah. Spider-Man. With Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker falls asleep and he wakes up and he has Dr. Octopus, you know, as his history teacher. You know, that kind of weird <laughs> stuff that he would do. So I totally could see that. So, you know, this feels like it's – oh, and the shot of Firestorm on page seven, uh, the, the, the little single narrow panel of him flying in front and you see Martin in the back. Like that to me is a great shot of Firestorm. Like that's to me that's like merchandising art yeah, level that, kind that's of drawing. True. 
Um, so, you know, I think it, in some places it works, some places it doesn't. I think the mage would have made a great superpowers figure. Uh, he looks cool, doesn't he? He's got a lot of very, he's got a lot of visual hooks, no pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> you know, nice to see Firehawk get an appearance. I like the idea that, um, you know, somebody is haunted by, uh, like, you know, all the villains you faced, like they, they're in your nightmares. Like that makes a lot of sense. You know, that, I think I understand that. Um, there's a reference early on to what is it? There's a, what, what movie is it? They mentioned that, that, that oh, Ronnie has watched apocalypse now apocalypse five, now. five yeah. or six times. I don't believe that Ronnie has watched that movie five or six times because they've established Ronnie's kind of a lunkhead at times. And that's like Aww. that's kind of like a really long, deep movie. I don't really get that exactly. I appreciated Jerry's reference to another movie, The Tingler, which is a great old Vincent Price movie, horror movie. So yeah. I, I like all that stuff. I mean, Jerry, we've seen in previous issues, Jerry has mentioned movies pop up on marquees and things like that. So Jerry likes to populate his stories with that sort of real life stuff. So I like that he continued going on with that. So, you know, like I said, I wouldn't want to read a lot of these, but, but as a little one-off, I think it's, it's cool. I enjoyed it. I, I, I have the hard copy. I also own it on comiXology and I happen to read it on comiXology this time. And actually the text is a little more manageable on comiXology when you do the guided view because it just gives you a chunk of it at a time rather than the mm-hmm. whole page, which is actually kind of nice. So I think I like that better, but it, it made it a little easier to read. I think my favorite page is probably page 37. So Ronnie's dribbling the ball and he's heading towards the goalpost in his way is Typhoon, Killer Frost, Hyena, the Enforcer, and Multiplex. It's just like this... It sums up the, the ridiculousness of that basketball game at, at the end. I I am truly in love with these last eight pages with him playing the basketball game. It's like it made everything worth it. I love it so much. Uh, there's so You talked about dialogue and stuff. There's there's some clever dialogue in here. There's one bit I like where he says, Ronnie felt like he had swallowed a sulfuric pot pie. <laughs> and like just the turn of phrase there. I mean, the pot pie is what sells that line, but it's just really clever like it was. Now, the whole alien plot line. I feel like they could have jettisoned that. It didn't – It sure, it gave some fights, but it didn't do much for the story. Like, I feel like one of two things could happen. They could either jettison the alien plot or made the alien plot part of Maurice's illusions that he was causing. You know, um, it just it felt like two different, completely different stories that were overlapping. It just didn't work for me. Uh, now the alien looks cool. It's a cool design. It, it looks very '80s with the weird eye and the, the you know the. It looks almost like one of those aquamarines actually. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, but you know, either way, it wasn't horrible or anything. But it just wasn't my favorite part. Especially since, uh, you know, with, with the stuff of Maurice and the psychic powers, the same month that this is going on, Firestorm's fighting Mindboggler in the monthly book. So there's a whole lot of Firestorm fighting psychic attacks at this point right now. And uh, that's, I, I've talked about this before on the show, I hate psychic-powered villains. I just, I can't stand it when a villain, when, the, when our hero sees something that's not there and falls for it. It drives me nuts. I did like in this one, at least Ronnie did recognize most of the times, like I'm looking at, you know, the enforcer as the librarian. No, it's not really. I know it's not really, but I can't stop seeing the enforcer as my librarian, things like that. And then, um, oh, another comment about the alien. Way, way, way ridiculously powered. I mean, basically the alien can control people. It can change matter like Firestorm. It's like half Firestorm, half Martian Manhunter or something. I don't know. Super powerful. So there's really, uh, Ronnie beating it was kind of like, really? Uh, I don't know. I didn't go for that. Now, I'm being all negative here. Sorry. Bottom line is I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the sports stuff. I'm sure most of you nerds sort of tuned out and not really sure the difference between a basketball and a softball. It's okay. Trust me. Uh, It's good. And uh, it was very enjoyable. And I remember as a kid not liking this. 
probably because there were so many words. I mean, I was reading books. I don't know why I would have been opposed to it, but or, or maybe it's the psychic powers. I don't know. But see, now it's again. funny because you said you, as a kid, you liked Who's Who so much because there was so much to read. That's true. That's funny. Huh. You know, I don't think I've read this thing the whole way through since I was a kid. When I typically when I do my Firestorm read throughs, I get to this issue, I read a little bit, and then I skip it. <laughs> I guess because I'm like in a hurry to burn through them or something. I don't know. But I'm glad I read it the whole way through this time. Again, the basketball game made everything worth it. It was so good. So good. All right. Well, that's going to do that. Uh, go pick it up. You can get on Comixology, folks. Look at that. I can say that now. Woo. Well, we need to get to our listener feedback. Um, what we've done is we've pulled bits and pieces of it. We did not pull the full, you know, every single Twitter mention in the world, but we pulled all the comments from our website. We pulled emails. We pulled a few things from Facebook. Just try to gather some so we could get, you know, definitely want you guys to be part of the show because the, our, this show, this network, Rob's own personal well-being would be nothing without the constant accolades you guys give us. So we sincerely appreciate that. Please, please, please go out to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go up to the Aquaman and Firestorm show. Leave a comment on this episode. Tell us what you think about, I don't know, the, the Jason Momoa test footage. Tell us what you think about the Preacher TV show. Tell us what you think about the Aquaman comics, this Firestorm comic, you know, any of it. We'd love to hear from you. So with that. Rob, you want to start us off? Yes, our first comment is from our pal Ryan Daly, who, of course, is right here on the network. He does he does uh, Power Fishnets, giving those Star Wars. It's midnight, the podcasting hour, Nightcast, and as uh, Shag puts it here, the man who has sired a child most likely to take over the world. Uh, he says, I want a who's who update 17 entry for Firestorm that says Ronnie Raymond is a never nude. <laughs> I, I read these comments and I'm like, the hell are they talking about? And then yeah, I, I realized, to go back and remember what the hell he was referring to. Yeah, because Ronnie's always in the shower in these things. That's right. And I made that joke and because I, I love Arrested Development. All right. Then we heard from Chris Franklin, also from the network. Uh, and he's doing – he's just launched his own new sub-podcast, which is part of our Fire and Water Presents. It's called Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys? He also does Supermates podcast, the Power Records podcast, the Batman Nightcast, and he is the star of the upcoming remake of the Beverly Hillbillies. Chris says, I'm not sure how – the Aqua title is going to go back to normal after this either, meaning the, the, the Deluge War. Maybe Aquaman cuts all ties with Atlantis? I'm sure Rob wouldn't mind that. Uh, one of my biggest gripes with comic creators of the past several decades is escalating things beyond the breaking point and then expecting the status quo to settle back after a certain time. You can argue, argue one of the first examples was the death of Aqua Baby slash Aqua Junior. Uh, I mean, could you really see Aquaman not killing the Manta for that? And, uh, you know, that's, we, we talked a little about that in the beginning. It is sort of hard to see Throne of Atlantis and then the Deluge and, and just say, okay, things go back to normal. However, I, again, Aquaman surrendering to the United States was a pretty cool moment, though. Yeah, yeah, but I agree. I, it said I, enough with the Atlantis attack. Please, enough yeah. Atlantis attack. Thank you. Um, Chris also says, I'm kind of with Rob on Bazooka Joan. She's intentionally absurd, so it works. But obviously, neither she nor Stratos, I keep thinking of the winged He-Man character, got, got who's who entries, so I guess you're not alone, Jack. And you, actually, based on the feedback, I am alone. Everyone seems to like Bazooka Joan, except for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zoom Yukonori, uh, I think we need a, a half-page entry, a half-page Stratos, half-page uh, Bazooka Joan. Just putting it out there, buddy. <laughs> uh, ordering these things up from Right, me. exactly. Now, look at me putting pressure on this amazing artist, uh, and I'm just wanting, to, on a whim, to draw something for me. 
<laughs> Draw me something pretty, Zoom. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, I agree with Ronnie's treatment of Felicity was kind of disturbing. Uh, sure, it was funny in a sophomore kind of way, but the fact that he taunted her about the men enjoying her naked appearance takes it to a slightly creepy level. This isn't Spider-Man webbing J. Jonah's mouth shut. It's several steps beyond. Bad Ronnie. Maybe he just wanted to see someone else appear naked and soapy after all of his shower changes. So i just like to point out that I'm the one who was respectful and talked about how it was bothersome to see Felicity Smoke being treated that way in the last issue. So, you know, I'm it breaking was my opposite day at the Fire and Water Podcast <laughs> Network. I'm breaking my arm, patting myself on the back there. All right, then we heard from our buddy Dr. Ange, who does the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary. He's also one of the Legion Super bloggers and appeared recently on the Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes. He says, I bought this Firestorm and loved Bazooka Joan. What is with you people? Anyway, uh, only we saw her evil ally. Quote, my turtleneck is too big. <laughs> Girl. Uh, growing up in a rather conservative household, I have to admit, I thought Mindboggler was pretty hot in a forbidden fruit sort of way. Alas, she isn't long for this world once Ostringer gets a hold of her. Uh, he's not wrong there. But uh, I, at least somebody liked Mindboggler. I am I'm not a fan. Oof. So... Uh, then we heard from our buddy Luke Dobb, who's from Dobb Creative, and and he just launched a podcast, folks. Luke Dobb has launched the Creative Spirit Podcast, so uh, very excited about this, where he's talking to various artists. So far, he's talked to Brian Miller, and I forget who his second guest was. Tom Zoller. Oh, it was Tom Zoller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course you know who it is. That's right, your old former college roommate, which isn't really true, I don't think, is it? But Yeah, basically uh, it is, yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. You guys shared a bed? Is that how that worked? You're cutting this out. I know that. Anyway, um, so Luke wrote, he said, great to have another review episode. I still love these. So, you know, thank you, Luke. We appreciate that. We don't get to do these as often as we'd like, but uh, it's always glad to hear that they're appreciated. Isn't it nice that the one area that we had something on Luke, and he's now taken over that from us, he's now doing a podcast as well. Oh, it bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, whether it be art or Drawing, or well, that's I guess the same thing. But uh, singing, music, song, yeah, yep. music, composing, yep, 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 all that, all that crap. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Luke. Uh, Jeff Farr, <laughs> I took a, I need a second to recover from that. Jeff Farr <laughs> wrote in to say, ah, the issue so full of forgettable Firestorm foes that the mind boggler stands out as the most interesting. <laughs> Stratos beats Firestorm in the all important puffy sleeves category, though. Throughout, Firestorm's sleeves are not reacting to the supposed wind. Are they actually filled with stiff foam? I'm struggling to think of what kind of character Bazooka Joan would make a suitable foe for. Hawkman? Uh, I feel like, like most villains in the DCU, she would end up being a Batman villain. <laughs> he's, oh! He seems to have a, there seems to be like a giant black hole in Batman where he just takes on every villain at some point. Seems like a lot of Firestorm villains fall into the, the category of, eh, kind of lame. Probably better as a Green Arrow villain. I think it's kind of how much it's fall. All right. Then we heard from a buddy, Paul C. Uh, Paul in KC, which I assume is Kansas City. He says, something I thought I would never hear on the Fire and Water podcast. Time code, 53 minutes and 53 seconds. Shag saying, well, I love seeing a hot woman naked <laughs> as I then berated Ronnie for, for his behavior. You're correct, Paul. I kind of surprised myself with that one. Uh, Martin Gray, too dangerous for a girl, says, great to have you guys back talking Aquaman and Firestorm. The recent Aquaman issues have been bonkers good. Abnet is using the fortnightly schedule. Well, he is throwing in the slang left and right. The fortnightly <laughs> schedule to add texture to the story. So as well as such exciting moments as the attacks by the pretendy Atlanteans, we get to know the characters better. It's funny. I was just thinking yesterday that the Josh Middleton cover should be collected in a book. And here's Rob saying that very thing. Mind, we do agree on everything. 
wasn't I admitting to hearing Nanny and the Professor months ago in the feedback? And I'm not afraid to tell you I actually watched the thing as a nipper along with my three sons and the Debbie Reynolds show. <laughs> nipper, fortnightly. He's just, yeah, he's just throwing the English stuff at us left and right. Well, you forgot to – Rob only read part of the quote. It actually starts with, call, blimey. So he, he didn't read that part. But, uh, Martin's in his boot black outfit. <laughs> Martin then goes on to say, I do not understand how anyone can't smile at Bazooka See? Joan. There you go. Yes, she's, yes, she's throwaway, but gloriously so. Man. Shag, I'm telling you, you missed that one, man. You missed, I am you missed stick, the zeitgeist. Bazooka I am Jones. apparently a stick in the mud here. I should have had a Bazooka Joan blog. Um, then we heard from our buddy Paul Hicks from Australia in the Waiting for Doom podcast, and he just says, I missed this show. Aw, Paul, we missed you missing this show. Hey, thank you, Paul. Joe X says, Bazooka Joan is outsider's level bad awesome. Has, oh, any- <laughs> Has anyone gone insane enough yet to start a Bado podcast? We keep pushing, what is it, Michael Chiaroscuro? He keeps yes. threatening to do it, but he hasn't done it yet. But, you know, the way the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network works, I think if you wait long enough, a Bado podcast will eventually just start. One of us will just, just start doing it. I don't know. I'm not sure who. But I think it will just organically grow out of the network. Well, I'm not even sure it will be a conscious decision. It will just be one day they start recording an episode and go, what the hell am I doing? Oh, yeah. crap. I, right. This happens? Okay. It's like that, that day that Cisco had, like, no new podcast. And then an hour later, he had Star Trek episode one. <laughs> Already recorded, already ready recorded, to go. Ready to go. Uh, <laughs> Brian Linton writes in. He says, "I share Chris's concern that the Atlantis versus the Service World plot has been done to death by Marvel and doesn't need to be overdone by DC as well. While it has been a few years, it doesn't feel like there he's mentioning Throne of Atlantis happened all that long ago, especially given the similarity in plots between the storylines, i.e., a secret, i.e., a secretive third party engineers the conflict between Atlantis and the United States to further their own agenda." All that being said, I've been enjoying Abnett's run on the book, particularly the work he's done to flesh out Aquaman's supporting cast. That's true. Yeah, I didn't mention that really enough in my issue reviews. I, I think Abnett, Abnett's done a terrific job on Aquaman. I'm, I'm really, really happy. I, I don't think I got into that too deeply. Uh, I had the chance to talk to Dan on this very podcast, and that was – I think he's been doing a terrific job on the book, and I'm glad that he's, he's humming along, and I hope he stays on Aquaman for a long time. Yeah, and by the way, if you like this sort of plot thread where Atlantis ends up in a war with the surface world and, and becomes a big political thing, uh, Dan Jurgens actually wrote a great run in the, what, what, I guess, the Aquaman run that went up to 75 issues. Yeah, he wrote where, the last 10 issues. 60, yeah, those are great books, 60, yeah. 65 through 75, yeah. Where Atlantis goes to war with Serdia, I think is the name of the country. Yeah, yeah. And it's all, it's, again, all being manipulated by a third party, but that's also a really good run. Now, they, they mention in here, they say that Atlantis is going to be accepted in the United Nations, and that had never happened before. But I'm pretty sure it's happened in at least pre-Flashpoint a few different times, actually. But yeah. Including that Sertia story. Anyway, uh, Brian Brian Linton, who, by the way, I think is a new commenter. Uh, Brian Linton goes on to say, I freely admit that I'm a Firestorm noob, and most of what I know about the character I've learned from this podcast. I've been enjoying all the kooky villains that have made their appearances in recent issues and get the feeling that the creative team was having a blast working on this book. That definitely increases my enjoyment as a reader and listener. I look forward to seeing how this assassination plot plays out. Awesome, Brian. I love it when people are discovering a book, you know, through osmosis and they find themselves kind of digging it. Yeah, it's great. We heard from our buddy Zoom Yukinori. We've already mentioned them a few times from the, the line it is drawn from CVR. Hopefully, and, hopefully he's drawing as he's listening to this. Well, he better be done with Stratos by now because Bazooka Jones is going to take a lot of attention to detail. Uh, but Zoom, more importantly, folks, he is joining the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Woo! Uh, later this summer, he'll pr- pr- premiere his mystery show that he'll be revealed later. And uh, we're really looking forward to him joining and bringing that sexy, dead sexy voice of his and making all of us sound like we're sucking on helium. 
So, uh, he says the Breathtakers Who's Who entry makes a reference to an incognito entry that did not appear in the series. Someone has to do something about that. Well, uh, <laughs> Zoom, I appreciate you volunteering to draw one, but let's just face it, incognito is just a black blob on a piece of paper. Don't you think your artistry skills are better deserved on Stratos and, and Bazooka Joan? Just saying. What's the priorities here, buddy? I mean, Zoom could do an incognito if he wants to half-ass it, sure. I mean, <laughs> Then we got a very nice letter from uh, – it was just signed Paco, so I don't uh, – and he, he might be Vibe, you know, from the old <laughs> Justice League Detroit, his original pre-crisis name. But his name's just Paco. Very nice letter. He says, thanks for doing the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. I found your podcast a couple of months ago, and I've been loving the show. The irony is that I wasn't a comic reader, but for some reason I typed Aquaman into the podcast search <laughs> thinking surely there couldn't be a podcast about Why would anyone do that? <laughs> Well, I, I thought that's how everyone found our show, quite frankly, Rob. But anyway. I but said, if you're not a can't. comic reader, why would you type Aquaman into a Because there's a movie coming, man. I guess Could so. you j- Paco's new to the family. Will you please be nice to him? I'm anyway, not. he says, uh, surely there couldn't be a podcast about the underwater hero. But to my surprise, you guys were there. You're my first comic podcast. Oh, look wow. at that. We popped we popped his cherry. Uh, he oh, says, I love, Lord. I, I know I crossed the line. Uh, he says, I love the banter and hearing, well, and actually that's going to, that's going to work into the story here in a minute. And he goes, I love the banter and hearing your take on Aquaman and Firestorm. I guess I'm one of the few people who does tire of a bit of hearing shag rate Maris appearance each time she shows up. Paco, that is a fair complaint. Uh, I appreciate it, but at least, you know, going in what you're getting into. And yes, she is hot. Uh, but you guys are still a blast to listen to. I love the interviews, your your intentionally positive approach to comics, and looking for the fun in these stories. And I enjoy the other nerd references, especially Shag's injections of Doctor Who. Woohoo! Man, just so you know, guys, there is another Doctor Who episode coming. Uh, it will probably appear on this network rather than Firewater Presents because that's where the first one was. But either way, it's going to have uh, Siskoid and David Ace Gutierrez. We'll listen for that. Paco continues, I'm all over the place, Paco, I'm sorry. Paco continues, in one of your listener feedback, someone else mentioned wanting to hear reviews about some of the classic Aquaman stories. I hope you guys are able to fit more classic stories in. Would be great to hear more of Aquaman's roots. I'm telling you, man, we've got to do those SAG issues. It'll be so good. I know, I know. Well, you have to be around. I'm filling in as best I can. What are you doing to me? Come on. Can't you just go travel with me like a personal assistant and we can record on the plane or something? Do you want to pay me? No. Well, <laughs> can, I, can I pay you in digest? Because I have a freaking stack load of these things. I could use them as currency at this point. <laughs> I would love to live in a world where the DC digest can be used as currency, but until we reach <laughs> that fanciful nirvana, I actually need to have some actual greenbacks. <laughs> uh, we got a nice comment from Wednesday Comics on Twitter. It says, I must admit that the Fire and Water podcast has the best podcast music intro ever. And then I put the question to him asking, saying, you know, we got a few shows. Which one do you mean? And in fact, he meant this show. So he really enjoys it. Then we heard from Gord Tolton, uh, who up to this time we thought was Rob's favorite supporting cast member on Star Trek Next Generation. But it turns out that Gord actually has a blog. I didn't know this. It's called uh, Ranger Gord's Roundup, and it's history and general musing of the past and present. You guys should go check that out. Anyway, Gord wrote in to say, because uh, we were talking about all the, the morts, uh, like, you know, Stratos and uh, Bazooka Joan. And he says, the secret suicide human shield squad. <laughs> the villains that Amanda Waller would, wouldn't send, uh, wouldn't spend neck bombs on. <laughs> uh, Cannon father couldn't. Canon father couldn't get in. Oh, my goodness. I slaughtered that whole thing. I'm so sorry, Gord. It was very funny. I couldn't stop laughing, though. <laughs> And finally, we just have a couple of quick shout-outs to a few folks who helped promote the show, this episode on the, the previous review episode on social media. There were a bunch of you, but here are just a few. Chris Franklin, Jared West, 
Oli, Almeida, Abadaba, Cosmic Cat Comics, Luke Dobb, Justice's First Dawn, Trucker Talk, Lauren Mountain Flower, Rich Grimmel, Gareth Oliver, and David Ace Gutierrez. Woo! Thank you, folks. We sincerely appreciate that. So, again, comments, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Also, you can find the image gallery there. You can send an email. What's the email address, Rob? Fire and water, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. It's not that hard. You've been saying it for five years, really. You know, we have hardly anybody sends email anymore because they usually just use the, the contact form on the website, so I don't say it as much. Plus, we only, we only record like once a month together anymore. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as Fire and Water Podcast or as our own separate feeds. You know, Rob's got Aquaman Shrine. I've got Firestorm Fan. Uh, anything else we need to say before we go? I don't think so. I think we're good for now. Okay. Oh, I do need to mention one more thing. <laughs> well, I forgot. I should have mentioned it at the front. I, you know, I told you I was hanging out with Frank. Guess what we bought? Oh, well, let's that, not get into that. You mentioned the lingerie store. That's true. Okay. Guess what we bought in comic book wise? Oh. <laughs> we bought. Uh, I, I I've talked on previous episodes about my Aquaman uh, fetish for the Total Justice line. You know, I, I own twelve different oh, Total Justice Aquaman oh, figures. Yeah, okay. I have the final one now, the very last one that I've been missing all these years. It was the holographic Aquaman from the uh, uh, Rock of Ages storyline. It was set. You had to buy this $50 box set of action figures with five figures, and I've never wanted to shell out the money, but both Frank and I wanted because there was a holographic uh, Martian Manhunter in there. And so together we talked them down on the price a little bit, and then we split it. So we each walked away with a set of figures, and we didn't pay that much money. And uh, I can now finally uh, – the Total Justice Aquaman family are all together now. They're no longer the long-lost brother. I'm so excited about it. Come on. you got to give me something for that. No, I don't. That's – no. There's <sighs> nothing to be proud of that you own that piece of crap. <laughs> you know what? That's how we're going to end it. Thanks for listening, folks. Fan the flame. Ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah. When did gum get so soft, you sons of bitches? You know what this country used to chew? Tree bark, glass, shotgun shells, the broken swords of our vanquished enemies. That's why I buy Bazooka Joe gum. It's like chewing a mountain that someone shot a freeze ray into. What's wrong with this country, huh? When did we lose our way? Detroit? Life is hard. Shouldn't everything else be harder? Bazooka Joker!